Thank you. Yeah, so Brendan told me to say what I was, the time that I was most afraid. And I responded to him with the first time that I preached here without a doubt in my mind. So, <laughs> so I'm up here again. Um, but yeah, so uh, today we are continue, continuing our series um, called Devoted. And the Devoted series is based out of Acts 2.42, which will be up on the screen. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So we looked at the important aspect of Scripture to start off this series, and now for the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series of devoted to prayer. So as you can see, um, I counted already five times today where we have prayed. And so we're continuing that coming up on November 23rd and 24th, which is next weekend, which is our 24-hour prayer room. So you can look forward to that. Um, There'll be more information on that coming later. And um, there's also an opportunity you saw on your chairs. Brendan will be talking about that later um, to tell you what you'll be doing with those cards. So obviously, we're a church that places a strong importance on prayer. And so with that, um, will you pray with me? Almighty Father, creator of the heavens and the earth, we are grateful for the opportunity to dwell in your living word today. Allow your words to be spoken here, and may the Holy Spirit fill this place by opening our hearts and minds to receive the knowledge of God. In this season of thanks, may we remember all that you have done and look forward to with joy all that you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Luke 21. So just to catch you up on where we're at, we heard Matt talk a couple weeks ago about Zacchaeus, the small man who climbed the tree, who Jesus asked to come down and invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Um, He was a man who was deemed unworthy by his community. Um, And then we see that Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and we have the story of Palm Sunday, where everyone laid the palm branches down, greeting Jesus in Jerusalem. So then in chapter 20, we see that Jesus is starting to do a lot of teaching in Jerusalem. He's overturning everyone's understandings of the law and begins to send out warnings to the people of God, which is where our passage picks up today, where he predicts the destruction of the second temple. So if you've been following along with us, our passage today will be Luke 21, 5 through 19. Hear these words from the book that we love. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones, with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived for many will come in my name, claiming I am he. And the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors on account of my name. 
And so you will bear testimony to me. Make up your mind beforehand not to worry. Or make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by even parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. So wow, there's a nice, light and easy passage for us to digest this morning. So last week, Brendan gave you a taste of this passage when he was talking about the temple destruction in Haggai's time, and it involves a, the, a different people at a different time, but yet it's the same temple and it's the same problem. So maybe one day we'll talk about the temples being built up, but today we're talking about a temple being destroyed again. So I've broken this passage down into four P's to help us understand what God is teaching us. And the first P, as will be up on the screen, is perishing. So we have in this passage the disciples spending a lot of quality time with Jesus, and they're admiring this incredible temple. This is a temple that's beautifully decorated, the architecture is astonishing, and the temple is filled with people. The temple was not only the religious center at this time, it was not only the national center at this time, but it was the center of their entire universe. It represented 1,000 years of God's provision over the Israelites, and it was tended to with great care and craftsmanship because of that. But then we hear a huge, but Jesus said, and we all know what that means. It means that Jesus is about to say something that will change the course of history, and indeed it does. So to put this further into perspective, this would be more devastating to the Israelites and in their time than the the destruction of the White House, the Pentagon, the Washington Monument, and the Statue of Liberty all happening in the same day. So the temple was obviously of clear importance to them. However, the temple was also a symbol of the perversion of Israel that had gone away from the call of God. It stood for everything that Jesus had opposed. So we see in Matthew 21 and Mark 11 that Jesus goes into the temple and has that famous story where he overturns the tables, um, which was an indication or a foretaste of of Jesus tearing down the old law and bringing in the new one, saying that, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? So turning over the tables was not enough. The whole temple must be destroyed. So we see in this statement that Jesus values two things. He values prayer, and we see how far that the people of God have walked away from their original call. And if Jesus was correct in his preaching, and spoiler alert, he was, the temple was wrong and must be destroyed. So Jesus knows that the nation will eventually turn on him and reject him, and he knows that that will be painful and costly. Jesus uses the destruction of the temple as the decentralization of Christianity and also made a statement that he would be the center. The destruction of the temple is a metaphor for the temporality of the things of this world. So we are called to endure through a time of perishing, that the things of this world will fall. However, we wait upon the coming kingdom, which requires my second P, patience. T, 
Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? What will be the signs that they're about to take place? It's what the disciples were calling out to him. So historically, the Israelites looked to the sky for answers. They felt like if they saw something in the sky, that it could indicate the rise and fall of kingdoms. So when the disciples were asking, when will these events happen? What will be the sign? They were looking to the sky. They thought that God would give them a sign in the way that they would normally receive signs. So we see that when is a frequently asked question. When will my suffering end? When will my prayers be answered? When, O Lord, will you return? So we hear this question echoed throughout Scripture as well. Habakkuk 1-2 says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out, Violence, but you do not save? A popular prayer like the Habakkuk one is also in Psalm 13 that says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So our prayers are calls upon God with the question, when? So prayer is our act of patience. We call upon the Lord and wait for him to respond. But how many people hate waiting? So I suffer from a condition called road rage. So I hate waiting to where I want to go. And there are other people who are driving incredibly slow and lights that both prevent me from getting to where I want to go. So it gets me angry and tests my patience. But I'm working through that right now. So this is obviously a funny example of patience being tested. But what about our patience being tested when it comes to cries for justice, for healing, for peace? Forgiveness, redemption, and reconciliation. Amidst issues of climate change and famine, disease, poverty, homelessness, war, addiction, abuse, and neglect. How long, O Lord, creation is groaning. Lord, are you seeing what is happening here? Habakkuk 1, 2, and Psalm 13 are both calls of desperation. But we hear in this text today that he calls for patience for there will be a time of waiting. So I had a friend who went through a very difficult time in, high, in his high school experience. He was struggling to find friends, and he was being bullied day in and day out. He told me that he cried upon the Lord each night, asking God to respond, and he felt as if there was no answer. So try telling that kid to be patient, because patience is just not easy. The Lord had predicted the temple being torn down and the disciples were scared. Believing that this would happen in their time would probably be even more terrifying because they couldn't just check their phone or watch the six o'clock news to see what was happening. So they too were searching for answers. But Jesus responds, many will call on, many will come in my name, but do not be deceived. So even if they get the answers that they're searching for, it could be someone deceiving them. So whether it was other people or gods, Jesus predicts that others were going to come and try and take their allegiance, but Jesus reassures them that they should not be afraid. So we too are awaiting people. We're waiting for the return of our king and glory. This is a prophecy that isn't just about the temple in 70 AD, which was destroyed by the Romans, just as Jesus had predicted. It's also a call for us to be patient here and now. 
We see in our time that we have the kingdom of God had, has already broken into our time here and now because of the acts of Christ. So we live in a time where Jesus has fulfilled the prophecy and yet we are still waiting to see that prophecy fully consummated. So that's, ten, that's a tension that's called the already and not yet. So this prophecy is a prolapsus of what the um, end times will bring. It's an image of what the end times will look like. So the destruction of the temple is just a small image of what it will look like, of a much larger event that, we will be, that we're awaiting. So we're awaiting these events when Jesus comes to rule and to reign again. So just as the disciples must keep watch and be steadfast and trust in God's timing, we too must be patient. Before that time comes, however, both the disciples and us must face a time of my third P, persecution. It says that nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in verse 12 it says, But before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over in the synagogues and put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors on account of my name, and so you will bear testimony to me. So this is a very challenging aspect of this text, but there is hope amidst this chaos. So this type of writing is known as apocalyptic writing or revelation writing, and it seems kind of strange. So Fred Craddock, who is a famous biblical scholar, he says that this type of writing is a dramatic witness to the to the tenacity of the faith and hope among God's people, but it certainly does not feel that way. For the disciples, on top of war and famine and natural disasters, the disciples will also be persecuted and imprisoned for just knowing and associating with Jesus, the person who spoke against the law and instead, instead preached love and grace and peace for all. So the situation is looking pretty bleak for them at this time. However, in the midst of chaos, our faith turns, our, turns us towards heaven, to the one who is in control and calls us to bear witness to him and bear our testimony in the midst of all that he has done. So David Platt wrote a very popular New York Times bestseller book called Radical. So in this book, he talks about the illegal secret churches that exist in Asia. So he traveled there to witness this gathering of the leaders. So the people who attend these churches travel for miles on foot, and they have to arrive at separate times in order to avoid suspicion. So if they are caught, they will lose everything. They'll lose their homes, their jobs, their families, and even their lives. But they are willing to risk it all because they believe that the gospel is worth risking their lives for. He talked to this group of leaders who would gather for hours, sharing about their struggles, tell of all that God was doing in their churches, and above all, they gathered to pray. They would simultaneously fall on their knees, put their faces in the dirt, and physically cry out to God. They trusted in God's faithfulness amidst seemingly impossible circumstances. So obviously it's a much different situation for us here in Holland, Yet we too are called, as the, as the persecuted church is, to remain faithful and show endurance in the midst of our adversities. The good news today is that God is in control of our history, which means God is in control of your history. This means you are co-authors with God, and you have the opportunity to share your story. 
So persecution, as we see throughout Scripture, is an inevitable, inevitable part of the Christian story. So we see in Acts 7 that Stephen shares a powerful testimony about what God is doing and what Jesus has done, and he's stoned for it. And while they were stoning him, it says, while they were stoning him, G- Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Paul, before his conversion experience, was a persecutor of Christians. And after his conversion experience, he was heavily persecuted and imprisoned multiple times. And yet he's the most prolific writer in all of scripture. And the most famous of all, Jesus. Jesus was persecuted but spoke the name of God boldly in the face of adversity, even to the point of death on the cross. So in the midst of our challenges, we see an inbreaking of the kingdom of God when we're able to look back and see what God has done. It's because we must trust him in that time of adversity and persecution. So we must be steadfast and know that God is in control, which leads me to my final P, which is provision. So God provides what we will need. It says in verse 14, But make up your mind now not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words of wisdom and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. So God assures, gives, and provides. He says here that we should not worry or prepare beforehand For he will give us the wisdom and the words to say amidst our trouble. So Jesus tells the disciples here that your allegiance are going to be tested. That all the comforts of this world will be ripped away, and yet he calls them to stand firm, which is again easier said than done. We see examples of people in the midst of grace adversity, such as we heard two weeks ago an incredibly powerful and moving kingdom breakthrough story when Christina Carlton came up here and told us her journey through battling countless illnesses and ailments, and, her str- and through her struggle, God remained faithful. He was so faithful that she was willing to come up on this stage and bear witness and share her testimony of God's provision. So thanks be to God for that. As it says in one of my favorite scripture passages, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we must pray without ceasing in times of trials and in times when we look at our lives and see a beautiful temple. When I was looking at this passage and thinking about perseverance and provision in the midst of life's trouble, I thought about my best friend, Alex. So Alex was a really good student in college and he was trying to get into the very competitive nursing program at Grand Valley. Grades weren't enough. You have to go through an entire process of interviews and different things, Um, and over half of the people get denied, depending on how many are able to get into just a small number of spots. He was very nervous, and he had worked incredibly hard and gone through the entire process, and he got denied not once, but twice. So after that second time, Alex considered all possibilities. He considered a new major, a new school, and he decided eventually, through a lot of prayer, to apply just one more time. He struggled wondering what God's plan would be for him. He was left wondering why. All of his friends rallied around him with support and prayers, and on the third time, he got in. 
So on top of um, so on top of that, while Alex was in the nursing program, he met he met Rachel, who he actually just married this past week, and so they met each other in in the co in their cohort at the in the nursing program. So if Alex had gone in on his first or second try, they may have never met. So we see that God works in mysterious ways. God is present and gives provision amidst our troubles. We are reassured of God's provision in John 16, 33, that says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Take heart for the creator of the universe provides for us in, the, in our times of trial. Prayer is our ultimate response to the promises and assurance of Christ. It is a part of our wit is a part of our witness to God's provision. Our adversities must then be embraced because they're all a part of God's redemptive plan for all of creation. So for this time of patiently waiting the, the Lord's return, in the midst of our time of persecution, Jesus taught us to pray, and we'll put the words on the screen. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is our call to action today. So I'd like to invite the band up. So when I was talking with Matt and Brendan earlier this week about this message, Matt brought up that he feels like at any given moment, he feels that he can be in any one of these four categories, whether he's in a time of perishing, patience, persecution, or provision. So regardless of where you are right now, let us respond with a not-so-secret fifth P, prayer. So according to David Platt, who I mentioned earlier, prayer can lead to efforts far beyond what we can imagine. So what can your prayer do when it is empowered by God? Just imagine. What areas of your life is God calling you to be patient in? What are some trials that you have faced that that God is giving you an opportunity to bear witness about? What are the challenges that you are facing that God is asking you to to pray without ceasing in? Prayer is our weapon of perseverance. So let us speak to God about our prayers of thanksgiving, our prayers for our trials and tribulations that we are facing, prayers for our city, our state, our country, and our world. We are called, as it says in Romans 12, 12, to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So will you pray with me? O Lord, our God, creator and sustainer, we come to you with great thanks and heavy hearts for the issues of our world and our lives. Let us lift our prayers to you. Let us cry out your name. Make us a people who trust in you, that you will be faithful to us, even when it feels that our world is crumbling. Provide for us what we need daily. 
whether it is wisdom or endurance or something else entirely. Let us be a people who in the midst of the world's trouble sing out your praise, speak your name boldly, and joyfully await your coming reign where all will be reconciled back to you and all of creation will be redeemed. Even so come in the, Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.